Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. a bit like a Sunday snow day this morning, looking around, because we're, we're a little bit thinner on the ground than normal with half term, everybody taking advantage of the earlier half term, but you know, the, as those that have gathered here this morning, this is a significant time. We might be a little bit smaller in number, but that makes this gathering no less important or significant. We're here for this morning, as Will reminded us, for purpose, for God's purpose, you know, these are, these are exciting days to be alive in, and exciting times for us as a church, as a church family. And we've talked about some of the changes that will be taking place over the coming weeks and months, and, and we trust that in those changes, although there are some things we haven't yet fully all worked out, that these are exciting things, and that the change is good, and that we'll be stirred and not shaken by the things that are going on around us. You know, the, the changes that will be happening in the life groups. And if you've not heard uh, our thoughts on that, it's now on the podcast available to listen to how we want the life groups to express life in the new year. And I've been really blessed to hear different people coming back with thoughts about the types of groups that they would like to lead and be involved in. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be really creative. It's going to be very diverse, but there are going to be things within all of them that carry the heart of what it is that God wants us to do when we gather together. We're still going to fellowship together. We're still going to eat together. We're still going to talk about the word together. We're still going to pray together. We're still going to break bread together. Those are non-negotiables. But the how and the when and the who, well, we can enjoy exploring how that works. And this uh, build up to the 4th of November when David will be recognized in the apostolic ministry that he carries and, and the, the time that, that will be a real celebration on the 4th, but everything that God's got for us next. It's exciting. And over the coming weeks, we'll be talking more about what that will mean for us and, and what apostolic ministry is and the signif- significance of that. And we'll pick up more of that over the coming weeks leading up to the 4th of November. Uh, David and Deborah are in Coventry this morning, and, and Matthew's asked them to be there this week just to help put and build into the church there. So I know they'll be a great blessing to them. I think all of their elders and wives are, are scattered on holiday. But I'm here, and Sarah's here, and we're here, so that's all good, isn't it? And here's the wonderful thing, Jesus is here, because uh, we're gathered in his name. If you could turn in your Bibles to Acts uh, 3, please. Uh, I, you know, I'm really excited about this time of, of advancement that God is calling us into, but I also want to say this, in our advancement, it's not a departure from the things that we're rooted in. Let me say that again, in our advancement, it's not a departure or we're moving away from the things that we are rooted in. There are relationships that we have. There's a revelation that we've received. There's, there's a, a heritage that has been built into us that we're not moving away from, but we're building on. And we're carrying on and we're taking forward. And I really want us to just look at those things together this morning. The things that I believe are our distinctives. The things that I believe God has for us to carry. Something for us to say. What our voice is to be and represent 
on behalf of the, the whole body of Christ and, and represent to the world as a whole. And in Acts 13, verse 36... I've done the NASV version because it's a bit softer than some of the other versions. But it simply says this, for David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep. (laughs) Other versions just simply say, died. But after David had served the purposes of God in his generation, he fell asleep. And I love that picture of him going to a place of rest, knowing that he had done all that he could in his own life to fulfill and serve the purposes, the will of God in his time, in his generation. And God's heart for us is this, are you ready to serve my purposes now in your generation, to give everything to serve the purposes of God? God, we've already heard, has a plan and a purpose for us. But it's not that, you know, God, God, I want you to get alongside and get on board with my plan and my purpose. When Tim Jones was with us a few weeks ago, he said, no, it's about me saying, Lord, help me to be part of your plan today. Help me to align my life with your purposes today. I'm joining with you. I'm not asking you to back my plans. I'm coming in line with what your plans are. I'm coming in line with what your purposes are. I'm here to partner with you. That's the process. That's the the dynamic that God is calling us to. And this next slide just wants us to think, what is it that we truly believe What are we living for? Who are we joined with? What's burning in our hearts? What's burning in your heart? You know, we are the product of many things. In our home, we have three children, some of whom are here, so I'm going to talk very nicely about them, as only I can, because they are wonderful kids. But Isaac, Martha, and Elijah, three children, they've been brought up in the same environment, the same parents, generally the same way of parenting, and yet they are very different to one another. Their natures are different. Can anybody recognize that? Does anybody who have siblings and they're different to you? Does anybody who have children and they're different to one another? And yet you've grown up in the same house, but you're different. And that's wonderful. That's a good thing. But, and, and, and our natures are, are being shaped and changed, and God has created us in a certain way to express things in a certain way, but also he makes us new creations, he gives us a new nature. But then a huge aspect of what makes us who we are is our nurture. The voices that have spoken into our lives, the influences that we've had, those who've modeled certain aspects of behavior or lifestyle or or ways of of conducting themselves, uh, opinions and experiences, choices that we've made, things that we've gone through that have been a decision that we've made or things that we've gone through that seem to be independent of anything that we, and any decision we've made, they've just happened around us and they shape us. And God wants us to know, in spite of all of those things, the mixture of voices and experiences and all those other things that feed into us and help to shape what we think, what is it that we truly believe? Because is it fair to say not every voice that you've heard speaking to your life is speaking truth? Not every opinion that you hear is an accurate opinion. Not every example that's been set for you is a good example. And yet other times people have have absolutely spoken truth into you. Opinions that they've shared really are God's will and God's heart. And the things that they've modeled are really good and something for you to follow and pursue. How do we know? How can we determine the difference? And I want to say this. What is it that's burning in your heart? You know, when Jesus is, is walking on the road to Emmaus, the disciples, the two men are walking from Jerusalem back to Emmaus. And it's about seven miles, it tells us. And as they're walking, dejected, 
sad that this Messiah that they put all their hopes in had been crucified in Jerusalem, Jesus walks alongside them in his resurrected body. And somehow, they don't know it's him. But as he walks with them, he begins to open up the word and he he reveals his place in the prophets and the writings and in the law. And then finally they arrive at the house and they sit down around the table and it's in that moment when he breaks the bread that suddenly, ding, the light goes on and they, they, they realize it's Jesus. And then Jesus disappears. But here's what they say next. Of course, Jesus was with us. Didn't our hearts burn? Didn't our hearts burn within us when he was walking with us, when he was talking with us? And I really believe God wants us to come back again to the things where we just say, Lord, that is burning in my heart. That burns. And you know what that burning is? It's the, the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God and combining it with what we want on our desires and melding it and fusing it in with us so that something within us is burning. God wants us maybe to blow on those things a little bit again or to remind ourselves of those things again so that some things that maybe have dimmed or dulled or maybe they're burning strongly already, they burn even stronger. What is it that's burning within us? What is it that we're living for? What is it that we truly believe? Who is it that we're joined with? And as I begin to think about these things, I began to think about those that I have been caught with and as I've heard them speak and share and the things they've talked about, my heart has burned. Let me put the next. These are just three examples. But I want to honor them for what they've put into me, for the heritage that I've come in because of the revelation that they've carried. And you may not know these, these gentlemen, and, and by the way, there are many other men and women that I could talk about this morning, but I just want to particularly talk about these three. Tony Ling. What a man of God, a prophet of God. And you know what, what I love about Tony? If you've heard Tony preach, he will open the word in its fullness. And he'll show you the purposes of God that flow all the way from Genesis, right the way through the law and the history and the the experience, and the prophets, and into the New Testament, and find their fulfillment in Revelation. And he picks up these themes, and these images, and and you realize this city, this city garden that's in the beginning, that's in Revelation, it's the church. And you realize these rivers that were flowing in the Garden of Eden, they pick up, and they, they kind of pop up again in different parts of the Bible, and they find their fulfillment in Revelation, a river of life that's flowing through the city. That in the beginning there's a man and a woman and there's a marriage, a bride and a groom. And although things were fallen, God's been seeking to restore that relationship again between the bride and the groom, between the church and Christ that's fulfilled in Revelation. And you start to see images and pictures and types and shadows of Christ. And wherever you open the Bible, you can see Jesus, just in the way that Jesus had revealed to those two men on the road to Emmaus. And you capture the greatness of God's kingdom and God's plans as you listen to him share. That's been built into me. I'm so blessed by that. Does anybody else recognize any of those things? It's good to honor that, isn't it? And then Bryn Jones, prince of preachers. That man could preach. But he preached what he lived, preached what he believed. He preached what was burning in his heart. And you couldn't listen to Bryn without being captured by the greatness 
and the scope and the extent of God's redemptive plan in Christ. Where it's like God didn't send Jesus just to save us from our sins and from hell. As wonderful as that is, it was bigger than that. God didn't send Jesus even just to fill us with the Holy Spirit. As wonderful as that is, God sent Jesus because his redemptive plan was for all of creation to be redeemed and restored back to God's original intention, to his fullness. And everything that he shared, you just came away feeling, yes, we can do anything. God is awesome. His plan is great. Everything's been achieved in Christ. What a mighty God we serve. I remember um, when, when Bryn, towards the end of his life, he, he suffered with his, with his heart, but his faith was, physically his heart was weakening, but his heart and his spirit was strong. And I used to work at Glenfield Hospital, so I, I went one lunchtime to sit with him in his room at Glenfield, and I spent probably about 40 minutes with him. And although he was not obviously physically well, his spirit was still so alive, and and I just remember walking out of that room feeling like I was 10 feet tall. I thought I'd gone to sort of encourage him and bless him. And I trust that I did, but I know I came away sharpened. And, and uh, it's like, look out, physio department, I'm coming back. And then Kerry. What a blessing Kerry is to, to us. What a father he's been and is to us. And the revelation that he carries in his heart and his love for people, and his desire. He's a, he's, he's a philanthropist. <laughs> he loves to bless people and help people. He believes that one man's good deed is another man's miracle. Yes. And that as God's people, we're to be like Christ in the world. And that Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. Because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. And we're to do the same. And you can't hear Kerry without having a heart for the world and without having a recognition of who it is that we are in Christ and a real sense of purpose and authority, and, and this greater understanding of what's happening in the spiritual realm. Yeah. been so blessed to have been invested in by these great men of faith, yeah. men of vision, men of revelation. Yeah. And you know, if there's one word that sums up the things that I believe God wants us to, to burn again in our heart, it's this next one. If you put the next slide up, it's restoration. Yes. Restoration. In Acts 3.21, this is the New Living Translation. It says, he must, talking about Jesus, Peter's preaching and he's talking about Jesus and he says, he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things as God promised long ago through his prophets or through his holy prophets. And he's describing something that precedes the return of Christ, a fulfillment of all things that have been prophesied, a consummation of a process that had begun long ago. that involves not just an element of, of recovery, but actually of restoration. Restoration. And in his book, The Radical Church, if you could put the next slide up, Bryn says this, it's a mistake to charge true restorers with being historical primitivists. It's a good word, isn't it? <laughs> we do not seek to return to an original condition, rather we seek to advance to the fullness of God's original intention. I love that. We're not here to recover the days of Acts 1 and 2 and 3. As wonderful and as, as great and glorious as those days for the early church were, we're here to recover what we read in Genesis 1 and 2. God's original intention. Restoration. 
It's not a reversion. It's not a recovery. It's restoration. It's an advancing. It's not, oh, weren't they good times? Let's go back to those. It's no, God is calling us forward into his purposes because God has an original intention that he's going to fulfill in Christ and the church is part of that. And we're part of that. And that burns within me. If you could put the next slide up, please. What are the things that define us here in this family? Doesn't every family, doesn't every home have its own feel, have its own values, have its own heart? It doesn't make it better than another family, but it expresses something of the values in that home. And I believe every church family is there to express something of the richness of God. You know, when, 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 when um, everything is fulfilled, the church as a whole, the universal church will reveal to the heavenly realms the manifold, multifaceted, incredible, surround sound, 4K plus 3D, glorious power and majesty and wisdom of God to the heavenly realms. And we're part of that. You and I, we're part of that. That isn't in the, in the never, never. You know, I love what we sang. I'll see it again. I want to say this. I'll see it today. The things that God is doing, the things that I've seen before, the things that I'm going to see, let's just not say three months or four months. Let's say today, Lord. Let us see these things today. Our hallmarks are these things. I believe that our, our revelation of restoration is really important for us and for the church as a whole and especially for the world. Yeah. You can put the next slide up, please. Does anyone want to buy that? <laughs> That's a chair that um, is similar to something that um, my brother-in-law and my sister had. They had two of them. And they, were, they, they got it off um, my brother-in-law's auntie, and she didn't want them. And so they, they messaged us and said, would you like these chairs? So they were two, like, they were in worse condition than this. And it was like a purpley-orange material that was really tatty on the top. And, but it was kind of that sort of design. And, and I saw the picture, and I was like, no, I do not want this. <laughs> and Sarah looked at it, and she said, well, hang on a minute. And she went and visited, and she said, in, in picking up the chair and feeling it, she thought, actually, there's weight to this. There's quality here. There's substance to this. And so Sarah had a vision that I certainly didn't have. <laughs> but actually what Sarah had was a vision for that chair that was even better than what it was, how it was originally made. And you know, restoration is that. Restoration is bringing something, not just to its recovering the original. You know, it didn't just get a, a similar material and, and kind of varnish and, and, and knock up the wood. This is what happened. Next slide. That's what the chairs look like now. Instead of a material, it's leather. Instead of an, an old wood, it's been properly rubbed down and, and varnished and, and really smooth. And the springs are really comfortable. And on the back, look, you've got the stud work, a little bit of design that nobody sees except us every now and again when we turn them around and bask in their glory. <laughs> but those chairs, once Sarah handed them to her father because it was Sarah's dad that, as, as a Christmas gift, re, had them reupholstered for us, and then some. Sarah gave him the design and everything that she wanted. He took it and did it for us and presented it to us, and I was shocked that they were the same chairs. But you know what? That's what restoration is. There's something that God has. There's a weight of his purpose, and at the moment, it may not look like everything that he intended, but we look and we see something bigger and something greater, and we take that and we say, Father, you can do this. 
You can transform the church. You can transform the world. There's restoration here. And God can take something that even right now doesn't quite look right, but he's going to transform it to something glorious. And I believe the church is to be glorious before Christ returns. Next slide, please. These are some of the things that I believe God is restoring and has been restoring and is a process of how God will restore. So the things that God is restoring and how God will restore things. In Ephesians 4, we, t- we, we read about the gifts of Christ, that Jesus ascended and he gave gifts to the church, the fivefold gifts of apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And I don't have time right now to go into detail of, of what of those, those gifts and those ministries and what they, they bring and what they do, but they're certainly not here to do the work. They're here to equip the church to do the work. And we need all of those gifts in their diversity to build into the church, to equip the saints so that we grow into the full stature and maturity of Christ. And actually their work is necessary until we reach that level. Is the church there yet? No. There's some upholstering to be done. There's some stud work to be putting. There's some rubbing down to be done. There's some varnishing to take place. And and those gifts are there to equip the church for service. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, it wasn't that long ago where for, for a believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit was incredibly unusual and, and rare and, and, and seemed to be no longer relevant post the time of Acts. But there's been a recovery of that, hasn't there, in the last century or more, of a recognition that the Holy Spirit wants to fill us, that when we're born again, we get the Holy Spirit, but when we're filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit, He gets us. And there's a power that comes when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and every believer is to be filled with the Spirit, to move in the gifts of the Spirit, to be presenting the the fruit of the Spirit, representing Jesus in our world. This sense of covenant and kingdom. You know, if you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, you see perfectly displayed covenant and kingdom. When God made Adam and Eve, was there any issue in the relationship between Adam and Eve and God? Or was it a perfect relationship? Unbroken. And between Adam and Eve, was there an issue in their relationship? No, God looked at them and said, that's very good. And then sin came. But God had created them for relationship, for covenant, and he'd created them to do what? To rule. For his kingdom to be extended in the earth. And sin came and broke that. But ever since then, God has been seeking to restore among his people a covenant people who relate to him perfectly relate to one another perfectly in the way that God himself relates in the Godhead the same love expressed between the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit is the love that we have for the Father and the Son and the Spirit and the same love that we have for one another only God can do that but for covenant to be restored and that as a family we are a family on a mission that as we have a relationship with God, we find our identity as his sons. We live in obedience to him as a result of that. That because of that, we see him as our king and we have authority and we live in power. Yeah. Covenant and kingdom being restored to us. And then the church. Who are we? What are we here to do? Where is our destiny? Where are we going to end up? Well, I believe it's glorious. Who we are is glorious. We're a chosen people, a holy nation. We're God's own people, his sons, his inheritance. That's who we are. We're the called out ones to represent and reveal his glory. 
We're a temple being formed together with the family of God. We're an army. We're a, a bride. We're a city. And our mission is to extend the kingdom, is to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea to bring about restoration. And I believe that we'll do that before Christ returns because I believe Jesus is coming back for a glorious bride. Is Jesus coming back in glory? Read 1 Thessalonians 4. Is Jesus coming back in glory? Yes, he is. We've had many weddings in here. And usually it's the bride that comes to the groom in those times. But when Jesus returns, it's the bride, it's the, the bride comes to the groom who's coming to the bride. But if you picture the wedding, imagine Jesus is standing here. It's the time for him to return in his glory, to claim his bride. What sort of bride, as you turn your heads and look at those doors, would you expect to walk in? <laughs> a bride that's in tattered clothes, crawling in, just trying to get to him. Jesus, I'm coming. Jesus, I'm to run out to her and sort of drag her by her hands, and pick her up, and she's sort of propped against him. Can you imagine that? Jesus is returning in glory. He's a glorious groom. What is the bride going to be like? What is the bride that the Father is going to prepare for the son that he loves? She's going to be glorious. That's the church. That's us. That's restoration. That's what I'm caught with. Just want to look in, in Isaiah 62. I'm not going to share for much longer. But I just want to look at some of these things in Isaiah 62 and, and just talk about restoration. Is everybody okay? Yeah. Now, these are the things that have been invested in me, in us. These are the foundations that we're building on. These are where God wants us to continue to grow in our understanding and to see the fullness of these things. There's so much more for us to take hold of. There's so much more need for the evidence of these truths to be exhibited in our lives and in our churches. But here's the wonderful thing. You know, Isaiah is praying. And this is probably around about 732 BC on a Wednesday in December, roughly. For 730 years before Jesus was even born, Isaiah is prophesying. And this is his prayer. And here's the incredible thing about a prophetic prayer. It may have an immediate fulfillment, but there's something that comes later and later and later. And it was really tough to be a prophet because much of the stuff that you said or declared or, or, or revealed didn't actually happen until hundreds of years after your death. That's tough. That's a tough deal, isn't it? But that's why we serve God with an eternal perspective. Because in eternity, they're incredibly blessed. But he's been praying this prayer, and I believe he's praying it for, for Jerusalem. I believe he's praying it for Israel. I believe he's seeing, this may be during the reign of, of someone like Hezekiah, or maybe later after, maybe this is during the reign of King Manasseh, who was an evil king who may well have actually killed Isaiah the prophet. And he maybe is seeing things happening in, in Jerusalem and in, in the capital of, of God's uh, nation that, that isn't going well, and he's praying for it. But I believe he's praying more than just for Zion there and then. I believe he's praying for the church. I believe he's praying for us. Because the people of God are those that have been called and find their unity in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We are all part of God's people. He's praying for Zion. I read that, and I'm saying, he's praying for me. He's praying for us. And he says this, because I love Zion, I will not keep still. 
Because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch. And then you read that with restoration thinking and restoration understanding, you realize Isaiah's heart was burning too. His heart was yearning and burning and it's because of this covenant. I love Zion. He has this covenant love for God's people and it's meaning that he can't be still. It means that he's moving his heart. It means he can't remain silent. One of the things that Kerry Jones constantly reminds us of is the power of what we say. Of speaking and affirming and saying amen when you believe something or you agree with something. And he can't keep silent. And so he's praying. And what's he praying for? Righteousness and salvation of shining and glory and blazing. He's praying for restoration and for a city to be a light to the world. For missionary zeal. These are the things that are our distinctives. What is it that we're living for? What are the purposes that God is calling us to? What is it that moves us and motivates us? There are some people this morning who've done the Leicester Half Marathon. Rob Stone is one of them. Let's pray for him right now. <laughs> and I, I, like, I love running. I enjoy putting dates in the diary for events that I can run for because it keeps me motivated. I have a goal. I have an idea of the time I want to do this distance in, and so I train for it, which means on days like this, I put my running shoes and go running, even though the thought of it is horrible because I've got something in me that's driving me forward. And we need that purpose to drive us forward. And Isaiah had that. And he's praying, verse 2, that the nations will see your righteousness. World leaders will be blinded by your glory and you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. That the church is glorious, the church is insight, that world leaders will see. We think it's far too often the church is peripheral to the world. It's on the edge. And we're sort of batting down the hatches, guys, because the world is coming to get us. It's really dark. It's really dangerous. Close the doors. Pull down the shutters. The nasty old world's coming to get us. No. The church is central to the world because the church is the fullness of Christ. And Christ is the center of everything. And so we're called to be those with world leaders and nations look at us and they say, wow, that's glorious. Verses 3 and 4, the Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see. A splendid crown in the hand of God. This is us. Never again will you be called the forgotten city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Do we really understand who we really are? God is holding us in his hand. And he wants us to know that we're a city and that we're a bride. You know, they're two images that speak again of kingdom and covenant. The city is where a king rules and is in charge. And, and what the king wants and his values and culture infiltrates the whole of that city. So they reveal the, the authority of the king and the culture that the king has set. That's the church. And the church also is the bride. It speaks of marriage, which speaks of covenant and commitment and relationship and joy and blessing. That we are part of a kingdom and that we're part of a great covenant. Verse 5, your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a young man commits himself to the bride. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Again, we see commitment and covenant 
that's happening between one another, to God and to one another. And then in verses 6 to 9, O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night continually. Take no rest, all you who pray to the Lord. Listen to this. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work, until he makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. The Lord has sworn to Jerusalem by his own strength, I will never again hand you over to your enemies. Never again will foreign warriors come and take away your grain and your wine. You raise the grain and you will eat it, praising the Lord. Within the courtyards of the temple, you yourselves will drink the wine you have pressed. That speaks of a people who are overcomers, more than conquerors, a people of persistent prayer that they are not resting and they're not giving God any rest with their prayers until everything that they know is in God's heart is fulfilled. People of prophetic promises, they know God's heart, they know God's word, that's why they're praying what they're praying. And a people of plentiful provision, a people of abundance. And then this is really important for us. Verse 10. Go out through the gates. Prepare the highway for my people to return. Smooth out the road. Pull out the boulders. Raise a flag for the nations to see. God wants the, ch- the world to meet the church, but he wants the church to go out into the world. This sense of mission you know, this morning we've been talking about God healing, God being our hope, God being our strength, God restoring us. But the wonderful thing is we are restored to be restorers. You have been restored to be a restorer. That everything that's good that's happening in here, the grain that's being eaten, the wine that's being enjoyed, the prosperity, the wealth, the abundance, then there's an opening out of the gates and a moving out into the world and a preparing of a highway and a straightening and a flattening of the road and a pulling out of boulders and obstacles so that the world can come and enjoy and a flag being raised to say here we are the people of God a people of restoration and then it finishes with these verses the Lord has sent this message to every land tell the people of Israel look your savior is coming see he brings his reward with him as he comes they will be called the holy people and the people redeemed by the Lord and Jerusalem will be known as the desirable place and the city no longer forsaken. Just close your eyes for a moment, please. You know, all of the things that are described here of restoration are taking place in preparation of the return of the Savior. Tell the people that your Savior is coming. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And he's returning in glory. And he wants us to live with an expectation of his return, with an appreciation and an excitement about his return, but a desire to do all that we can to speed his return. And to do all that we can to be ready. Not just ready in ourselves, but ready in how we seek to restore those around us as well. And Lord Jesus, in the light of your glorious return, in the light of the fact that you are the King of glory, in the uh, fulfillment of everything that God has planned, all of his plans and purposes, Lord, we recognize today that we are your people. Could we just stand together for a moment, just as I close?
What is it that we're living for? What's burning in our hearts? Where, is our, where are our eyes fixed? And I just believe this, this morning, by his spirit, God just wants to reignite some fires again, to breathe into our hearts again, to cause a, a reshifting, a refocusing, a recalibration of where our eyes are fixed, of what we're looking towards and a fresh excitement about what God wants to do in us and through us in restoring things according to his plan and his purpose. So I would just ask you right now, in your own heart, considering your own life, considering your own priorities at the moment, what you're giving your time to, your, your thoughts, your efforts, your energies, considering your family, your sphere of influence, with your colleagues, maybe, or, or schoolmates, or neighbors, or friends, connections, your dreams, your visions, all of the things that are driving you, that we just lay them out again before our King. Lord, we just lift our lives up before you right now. Lord, we lift all of the things that define us and the things that we live for and think about and spend our time and our energy and our money and our, our efforts in, Lord. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would blow across our lives again right now. We ask that the wind of the Spirit would blow across our lives. And Lord, the things that are to burn for you, Lord, let that fire burn more powerfully right now. And Lord, anything that doesn't belong there, anything that needs to move or shift, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would blow those things away. We ask that you'd blow away things that we, we've been carrying that we shouldn't be carrying. That you'd reshift things, that you'd reorganize things. We give you permission right now, Holy Spirit, to move in our lives, to restore order in our lives that are in line with your will, with God's will so that all that we do is in line with your plan and your purpose for restoration. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you'd heal hearts, that you'd restore minds, that you'd restore bodies right now, so that we ourselves can be restorers. Lord, we thank you that your plans and your purposes are good. We thank you that you've joined us together as your people. Lord, I pray that as we talk together now and as we fellowship together, that, Lord, that you'd be in our conversations. That, Lord, as we pray for one another, that we'll bless and encourage one another and that we'll sharpen one another, Lord. And that through this week, Lord, and beyond, that, Lord, that we will be those who go out into this world, open the gates, and, Lord, do all that we can to enable those that are yours, Lord, to return to you. For your glory, Lord, we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Instagram.